Hello and welcome back to another episode of Mixed Feelings with Kira Bria. Um, right now I am by myself. I was supposed to record with Lorraine Zerain, my illustrious guest for the past two episodes, but um, his laptop wasn't working, uh, so here I am. But um, <laughs> the first question I want to bring up is this whole, this thing that I'm starting to see now which is the discussion or the discourse surrounding whether or not the B in black should be capitalized. So what's interesting is that, you know, the B in black isn't capitalized. And then people say, well, it should be capitalized because when you're, the way you're using it, it's a noun, you're talking about a specific group of people. Yes, which is true. And I get that. My thought process is, African-American is capitalized, right? You think about that. And then you think about how white, the word white, when referring to white people, isn't capitalized. And then you think about how the word Caucasian is capitalized. And so, you know, in my head, I think African-American is to Caucasian what black is to white. That being said, it's kind of tricky because this is what happens when a word in a sense gets too big for its britches and what i mean by that is when we think of the original context this is why we really sometimes really need to think about context when we think of the original context that was happening when someone whoever it was probably a white man decided to call people of african descent black because that's what their skin looked like and then referred to his own friends as white like the first creation of those words were not academic or intellectual they were most likely discriminatory right so and what happens and the reason i'm saying this conversation could get a lot bigger is because we can extend this to the n-word what happens slash happened was that this word that was originally used, I cannot imagine ever really in a great way, became, it became meaningful and it became representative of a group that eventually got a platform to speak. And I think originally, honestly, these are assumptions and I should probably do more research before I open my mouth, but this is where I'm coming from when I think about these things. White people never thought black people were gonna do anything or white people never thought black people were ever gonna be in a place in society where they were heard or had a voice or were famous you know or were rappers or were movie stars or were intellectuals who you know write academic journals like none of these things were foreseen when these terms were created because if you think about it why would black need to be capitalized if white isn't capitalized if you think about the term african-american it's not really it's not representative of a place it's representative of a group of people who were taken from a place and brought to another place where they were enslaved but i had a friend who the other day said this to me 
he was saying that the thing is, if you're Chinese, you have, you know, roots in China. If you're Mexican, you have roots in Mexico. If you're African-American, you were taken from your country, brought to America to be enslaved, and your history was wiped. So you don't really have a place to go to that feels like home because your history was wiped. So your home is this, in a crazy messed up sense, is this place that has done nothing but treat you poorly based on the color of your skin. And that's not really a home if you don't feel safe there, but it's the closest you can come when your history is wiped, right? So it's this whole conversation, conversation that needs to come with this capitalization is that African-American, the values of someone who identifies as black are often very different than somebody who you see, one of those people who you see with the American flags by their house or or all American as their bumper sticker. You know, those people are generally MAGA people (laughs) who a lot of times who hate black people, who are outwardly racist. So the word in itself, African-American, it doesn't, it doesn't sit too great, I think, a lot of times, which is why the word black kind of took over, I feel, in a lot of ways as more of a, I don't know, a term that is easier to swallow or more close to home, maybe? What's interesting is then I think we see people identify more with the word black than with the term African-American. So then black starts to be more of the verbiage used to describe black people. Because I think, you know, the original term of African-American was supposed to be politically correct. But then we, we start to use this word this word black which i think originally was more of an informal use or had more of an informal use start to use it more academically and part of the reason for that is because i think a lot of black people don't connect with the term african american even though it's the politically correct term but you know calling kaepernick kneels at the american flag clearly we don't I mean, just in general, things that America stands for and allows to happen and the systems that it perpetuates and thrives off of genuinely don't care about black people. So why why would black people feel the need to identify with the term African-American when it has the word of the country that abuses them in every way? Um... All of this is just to say, I don't think the term black was created to get this far. And the parallel I'm drawing to it and why I think this is a could be a bigger conversation is, you know, let's talk about the N word. The N word. We all know where it came from. We all know. I mean, okay. I hope I would hope (laughs) you understand at least some of the history of that word. Um, the N-word was, you know, 100% derogatory and used only in hate in the beginning, right? 
because slave owners did not expect black people to to do anything other than be slaves. They did not expect African American vernacular to become the basis of society and the basis of a lot of popular culture and for you know 12 year old white girls to be using African American vernacular English in their everyday life slave owners slave masters did not think of that when they originally were calling people n-words and whipping them but what happened was black people reclaimed the word and put it into rap music and then white people listen to the rap music and then they think they can say it and it's just another case of a word (laughs) becoming way bigger than its britches and just becoming something it was never meant to be and then that's when it gets tricky um because a word that was used in hate and was created with the entire sole purpose of being hateful and harmful and paired with physical violence, that slave master never thought that their great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter would be listening to music with the N-word in it, you know? So these are conversations that we have when context, historical context, changes in ways that people didn't expect and I mean one thing that has been consistent is black people being the basis of society we see the shift from you know black people being the base of the economy in slavery to being the base of culture now even I would go to say sports and culture You know, and there are things to be said about the parallels between the NBA and slavery. Also, modern day slavery, mass incarceration. My my take on the whole capitalize the being black thing, it's semantics. Um, It doesn't mean it's wrong, but there's bigger fish to fry. And my thing is if or if all the black authors in the world want to get together and decide that the B in black should be capitalized, that's fine. But I'm not going to start capitalizing the B in black just because some white girl read one book on race and now she thinks she knows everything about it and how I should be spelling things. I'm not going to listen to a white girl who read one book tell me how to speak and write about myself. It just doesn't make sense. Um, It's semantics. And I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of white people are reading books on race right now, which is great. But don't think that reading is the same thing as living it. And don't think that just because you read a book and it's also, it goes into the whole danger of a single story debate. Um, You know, I think sometimes people white people encounter one black piece of literature, one black piece of art, and they think that's how it's all going to be. And that's how all black people think. And that black people are a monolithic group who agree on everything, which simply isn't true. There's a million, there's a million white authors who all think different things. 
And when one of them says it should be one way, it's not like you guys read and you're like, okay, that's how it is. She said it and everybody agrees. No, because white people are allowed to disagree and to have different ideas. And I I don't know who needs to hear this. I mean, I obviously do, but black people also are allowed to have different ideas from other black people as we are not one monolithic group. We don't have a big massive group chat where we, you know, make the rules and that's, that's, yep, we have to capitalize the being black. Everybody do it. It's not, (laughs) it's just a little bit ridiculous and um, a little bit not the point right now because truthfully, like, you can capitalize whatever you want if you stop killing us. Like, that's really, let's be, let's focus on that before we even get to semantics. Because before we touch semantics and capitalization of letters, first we got to get, you know, the knees off the necks. And then we need to get proper education for black children so that they can learn to be literate fairly (laughs) Um, before we talk about how you as a white person want to talk about me in something that's literacy based let's talk about how many black kids are illiterate i was an education minor in college so i had to take a literacy course teaching literacy the best ways to teach literacy and a lot of it was talking about how um so many kids in america are actually illiterate and most of these kids are black all of this is a result of inadequate education or access to education for black children before we start tackling you know, these high up, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, what are we, why are we stargazing when the soil under our feet is crumbling? Let's, let's get a grip, but let's talk about why so many black kids have trouble reading before we talk about how you want to talk about what you read. Does that make sense? I don't have a second person this week to soundboard off of. But my my point is that's just not the point. I have no problem with the capitalization of B. I to, uh, of the B in black. I totally understand the argument. I totally understand where it's coming from. I just personally, I personally haven't seen enough black authors do it for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna do it now, because you know I actually was reading black authors before it became trendy two weeks ago (laughs) um and like the thing is if I had seen it enough I would subconsciously already like have it in my head and be spelling black with a capital b but I haven't seen it very much um and I kind of look to you know black authors black intellectuals the people who the people who have oh, who've been talking about this for a long time and have been the voice, I'm going to let them talk amongst themselves and or set the example 
of how to, of the verbiage around blackness. And I'm going to listen to them more than I'm going to listen to, you know, some non-black person who read a book and wants to tell me how to write about myself now. That's just my opinion. But good looking out, though. Like, I think it all, it comes from a good place. It really does. I just think sometimes we miss the point. We miss the bigger picture. And according to this woman, her name's Vava Tampa. She says in this article on TRT World, um, it's called, Should the Term Black to Describe People of African Origin Be Retired? Okay, so I'm going to deliver a direct quote from this article. She says, Africans had to be dehumanized in European society to facilitate their enslavement, colonization, and exploitation of their land, hence the label black, because calling them African, or in their Yoruba, Benja, Shanti, Igbo, Mandinka, or Congo names, recognizes their humanity, history, culture, and heritage. So that's why I'm saying... Originally, when these terms were created, the N-word and the word black, these were not long-term thoughts. These were racist, short-term, right-now thoughts of how can I dehumanize this person? They never, ever thought these words would get to where they are today to describe an intelligent, strong group of people. But when we talk about whether or not we should capitalize the being black, it's like, well, I mean, I guess should we even use the word black if we're going to open this discussion up? But then what are we going to use? African-American? Well, I feel like I don't identify with American values too much when I think about the classic American, when I think of the president of America and how he calls black people thugs, then why would I want part of what he represents to be a part of my identity, you know? So it's like, do we even just need a new word, which I don't think we're going to, I don't think we need to go that far. But my point is, it's like, it's all semantics. There's not really a right or a wrong way to spell or capitalize a word that was rooted in hate and dehumanization that we have now reclaimed to describe a community it's pretty hard to talk about rights and wrongs in something that was never really right. Let's talk about, just for a minute, let's talk about the police. Not like you haven't heard about that at all lately, but here's my thing. I think a lot of people have a hard time picturing a world without police. And I can understand why, like, you know, in our lifetimes, there's always been police. It's always just been how it is. Um, but what I think we're, we're learning more and more is that, or hopefully we're learning more and more, is that just because things have always been done a certain way, by no means means that's the way they should be done or the best way for them to be done. Um, we're also seeing more and more evidence, personally, at least I am, finding more and more evidence every day that what is legal and what is right 
are worlds apart. Um, I just, I didn't know this, but apparently it's legal for police to rape people in their custody in a lot of states. And I, I literally have no words to describe how rotten and disgusting that is, but you know what? It's legal. And at this point, the term legal means nothing to me in regards to a scale of morality. We see it time and time again. Brock Turner gets barely any time. A black person who either literally did nothing but be black or steals a $2 pencil could be in jail their whole life. Brock Turner rapes an unconscious girl and eh, well, his, we, his one invention ruined his whole life. <sighs> what is right and what, what is legal have nothing to do with each other. And what I think it would be helpful for us as a people to start understanding, and this is even me, like this is, and not to be like, oh, this is even me, like, not like I'm the wokest person ever, but I, I'm awake and I'm black and I'm a woman. So I am already preconceived to be receptive to things like this, to thoughts like abolish the police. But I wasn't like already thinking it. I wasn't like born thinking it. Even I was like, well, what, what would that look like? Like a world without the police. But then I research it and I'm like, Oh, yeah, no, these were never, these people were never on our side. Which, like, obviously I know that. I've seen, I've seen it happening. But to really think and to really challenge and question all of the roots in society is not a thought that I'm born with, right? So it even, I even had to, like, think about this, is what I'm trying to say. But when you think about it, the police literally came or formed out of slave patrol. How, what did that look like? It looks like men, white men of different ages being lit, like actually required. This wasn't what you should understand that I didn't know either, but my research found is that it was kind of like, you know how when we learn about the draft for wars, it's like, able-bodied men this age to this age must go to war it was kind of like that and it's like okay able-bodied men and you know in this point in time when we're saying men we're talking about white men (laughs) able-bodied white men you guys are slave patrol so if you see a slave catch a slave men of different economic statuses which what does that do it makes the poor white man to be more and superior to a black man of any kind. So yeah, it started out as slave patrol and then, you know, slavery was abolished. And then crime becomes a way to (laughs) get slaves again. (laughs) The 13th Amendment becomes a loophole. And you can't have slaves unless they're prisoners. Then what happens is the government, especially in the South, 
goes, all right, well, let's make them criminals. We make the law. We decide what a criminal looks like and what makes a criminal. It's legal to stop someone for just looking suspicious. So what are we going to do? Let's make suspicious synonymous with black. And then, you know, we move to the war on drugs. Okay, well, how can we get black people back in jail? Let's make this thing, which, again, this is something where you really just need to question what you've been taught because you think, oh, drugs are really bad. Drugs are so bad. Drugs are terrible. Drugs, 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 terrible things. But I, I think even I remember when I was little being like, okay, drugs. What? Like just not understanding the concept of drugs and why they were so criminalized. Obviously, the thought wasn't that well articulated as I was a ki- when I was a kid. But I remember thinking like, what is so bad about drugs that people are going to jail for their entire life for having them? And it's not to say, you know, drugs are good. But think about just thinking about marijuana. And marijuana, thinking about using the example of weed, really tells you all you need to know about America. Because it starts off as a way to criminalize people. And then it ends up, even though it's obviously not legal in a lot of states, it ends up being legalized as a way to help the economy. So what does that tell us? American laws are only interested in either criminalizing black people or making money. And if you can do two at the same time, golden. That's the jackpot. If we can make money and keep black people at the bottom, that is the jackpot for America. And what do we call that? Mass incarceration. Let's build these big-ass prisons so we can put the slaves in there and make money off it. Jackpot. Bingo. What the American government basically did was they fabricate crime. They fabricate this idea of crime and make it synonymous to black bodies so that it becomes legal to enslave people. And that is... That is the connection that I think a lot of people are missing because I think a lot of people have this narrative of, well, who's going to keep us safe without the police? What are we going to do if it, but the, but, but we need the police just reevaluate who, what the police were really created to do. They were created to keep one group superior, to keep white people from having to interact with black people. That's what they were created to do. They were created to put black people in cages and to keep black people as slaves and to make money off of the prison system, to continue to make money off of free labor. That is what the police were created to do. And that's not to say that every cop is bad. That is to say the system, the soil they are built on is rotten. And if it were to ever be good, even just to make people who are good, who have chosen that profession, better at their their job, 
the entire system that it stands on would need to be uprooted and rebuilt. You can't have a happy home on rotten soil. And also something I learned recently is there's something called police unions. And the police unions are apparently the some of the most powerful unions in the country. Apparently these police unions are the reason why a lot of police officers who are fired for misconduct get reinstated. Because the police unions are so strong. And I guess the police unions just have a lot of power over how policemen are treated. Whether that be fired or you know, persecuted, things like that. Another thing to think about, even if it's just trying to defend (laughs) your side when you're talking to your racist uncle, is the fact that a lot of crime that does happen is because of poverty and because of the situations people are put in, which could be fixed if money was reallocated. Well, what they're trying to say is that, you know, We need to spend billions of taxpayer dollars on police so that we can be hard on crime. Well, what you're saying when you say that is that because we know we know the statistics, we know black people are incarcerated more than anybody else. So what you're saying when you say we're hard on crime is that, well, you're saying technically you're saying you're hard on black people, but. When you, when you talk about crime, and when you talk about black-on-black crime, and when you talk about these things with no understanding of where they come from, what you're saying is that black people are innately dangerous. When you accept these, these narratives of, well, we need police to be hard on crime. But why, why would there be so many black people in jail? Why would there be dispropor- a grossly disproportionate amount of black people in jail. That's a white supremacist thought because that shows that you believe that white people are better than blacks because white people are not in jail as much as black people are. And you believe in the concept of crime in the way that politicians use it as a weapon. Let's explain. So this whole, I was also, I was doing some research on this. The whole concept of law and order is fabricated to criminalize black people because historically the presidents that are all about law and order are republicans and obviously they're racist we don't even need to mention that but this concept of law and order is you're not really talking about law and order you're talking about white supremacy (laughs) you're talking about whites not needing to interact with blacks the the people who like to hear presidents say that they're going to be tough on crime and that they're going to make sure there's law and order. Like, law and order is code for heavy racism. Law and order just means, oh yeah, we're going to make sure the police lock up the black people. Like, we got you. That is what that whole facade is about. Because that's what it is. It's a facade. Law and order, meaning peace, is a facade. Law. Honestly, start at law. Law is a facade. <laughs> but by a facade, I mean it doesn't do what it promises to do. Just like the police don't do what they promise to do. The law promises to be moral and to help us 
determine right from wrong. That's not what it does when you're legally allowed to rape someone in your custody. That is not right. That is not helping us discern right from wrong. That's just wrong. But it's legal. And then we look at the police who are supposed to serve and protect. Who are you serving? Not black people. Not us. Who are you protecting? White people from having to interact with black people because you're incarcerating those black people for nothing. They are not protecting black people. They are not serving black people. So they are not doing what is promised. There's a lot of lore surrounding law and order. But what I'm saying is, when you think of it, when you think of what law and order promises to do, or when people say they're going to be tough on crime, you're talking about locking up black people. But what would actually be tough on crime would be, you know, community programs, closing the wealth gap between blacks and whites. That would actually be tough on crime. (laughs) If we actually, and this is the thing, these people, these politicians, these people who are in the government, they have access to real stats, real knowledge on what actually creates change. They know that they know that the the best way, what would be the best way, or even just looking at other countries that handle policing differently or handle prisons differently and treat them as actual rehabilitation centers as opposed to another way to enslave people. When we look at those statistics and that information, we know what works. And we know that putting money into community programs, into education, or redistributing wealth would actually get rid of a lot of crime. It's it's all about money and access at the end of the day. And when you cut, when you redline districts, and cut off access to black communities. You cut off access to education, to wealth, to hell, even healthy food, to therapy, to anything that has to do with your well-being. If you make it harder to get for a certain group, they're going to have to find a way to get it. And if legally you've set it up against them that they're not going to get paid as much, that they're not going to learn as well so they won't get into as good schools or they won't be able to even afford those schools if they do get into them and then they won't be able to get as good of a job as their white counterparts and the system goes on and on and they can't pay for their kids college and then blah 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 like if we perpetuate these systems to try and do our best to keep black people either in poverty or in prison i just think taxpayer dollars could be much better spent it doesn't make sense to continue to perpetuate a problem so that you can get your law enforcement to go in and try and fix it when you could really just fix the root of the problem which is a lack of access to everything if you fixed the problems you started in the first place instead of trying to shut it up with more problems and then also feed your own agenda of making more money off of free labor. Like, this whole thing is just another ruse 
for white men to make money off of free labor. That is all that system is. Don't get caught up in the badge, in the lore, in the all the all the different shows that show what you think a cop is. And it's not to say that there are no good cops, but the system of law enforcement is completely based on the white man's agenda to make money off of free labor. Do not get it twisted. If there are other good things that happen within that system, they are not the rule. Those are the exception. The opposite is the rule. The racism, the white supremacy, the unlawful arrests. We're seeing it right now. Look at these protests. Look at how many people are being arrested for protesting that they should be allowed to live. So much so that we're seeing, we're literally seeing states lose their shit. We're seeing New York suspending habeas corpus, which means they can arrest whoever they want. You don't have to be protesting. You don't have to do anything wrong. You never had to do anything wrong to be arrested by the police. But now they are fully allowed to arrest whoever they feel like. And what is that in an effort to do? That's in an effort to silence people, black people. That's in an effort to stop the protests for black people's right to live. I think I saw a tweet today saying Arizona made it illegal to take pictures of police officers, pictures and videos of police officers. What, what, what do we possibly think that agenda could be? Do we think it's for the good of the people? It's so they can avoid accountability and continue to push the white man's agenda. I'm tired of the white man's agenda. I don't want that agenda. It's not cute. It doesn't look good in my backpack. I want a black woman's agenda for the rest of my life. I am tired of this white man's uh, capitalist agenda. It's ruining our lives. It's not just ruining my life. It's ruining your life too. It ruins it whether you're black or white. If you're white there's a good chance you don't even know what system you're supporting when you say, oh yeah, cops are good people. You don't even know that you're pushing this agenda. You're just a pawn. We're all, we're all pawns in this game. We're all pawns in the rich white man's game. So wake up and help us dismantle this messed up system so you can play your own game of choice intentionally i guess is what i'm saying my entire i didn't really think i was going to be able to talk this long by myself but i clearly did um i guess my point of this episode is just to reimagine a world where this wasn't the default and how there may really be a whole lot less crime without police and with that money going somewhere else to support the lack of support that creates these situations where people are often forced to go into crime. If you fix the root of the problem, there will no, be no need to pay for a poisonous band-aid um, that only makes the problem worse. So yeah, I encourage you to think of a different world, a more peaceful world where we really care about the human being, as opposed to this obsession with this facade of law and order 
and the facade of it having anything to do with what is right or what is good. And just, yeah, really know who you're fighting for and really know what you're fighting for. Yeah, that's all I have to say, I think. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixed Feelings with Kira Bria. I super appreciate you listening to me ramble on. But yeah, uh, make sure to subscribe and like this episode and share it with your friends, especially your racist friends. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.